If you're just joining us, last week we kicked off a brand new series called How to Be Brave. And, and we're looking at bravery maybe from a different perspective than you thought of it before. Um, we're looking at what goes on up here in the mind. Um, because I, I think most of the time the things that caught slow us down from walking in the bravery and the boldness and the courage that God has for us. It's not the actual danger out there. It's not the, the, the enemies out there. Most of the time it's the enemy up here, right? It, it, it's our thought life. And so uh, last week we looked at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, which tells us to be anxious for nothing. And uh, an interesting, interesting week uh, as far as feedback is concerned. It's funny, sometimes you preach and nobody tells you anything about the message and you're like, okay, that was a wasted week. Uh, and, and other times you, you preach and you hear a lot of things and obviously you, you trust in faith that, okay, somebody was encouraged by this, but, you know, preachers get insecure too, just not going to lie. Um, so this week I got a lot of feedback. Um, I heard, heard from a lot of people that, man, this was so encouraging. This was, was something I really needed to hear. This really set me free. Uh, so I encourage you to check out the podcast. But I also got some of the other kind of feedback, and the kind that you don't want, but the kind that you need. Um, and, and I wanted to address that. Um, found out that, that I, I left something out of my message last week, and I want to make sure that I'm, I'm clear uh, that it wasn't intentional and it shouldn't have been left out. Um, we didn't talk last week about people who have clinical anxiety, people who um, are seeing maybe a, a Christian counselor, people who are maybe on anxiety medication. Um, I did not in any way, shape, or form intend to, to put anybody down who, who's wrestling with a clinical issue. Uh, I, I did not mean to make it sound like you're a sinner because you have an anxiety issue, um, and I definitely didn't mean to make it sound like counseling or medication is wrong or bad or that, hey, man, you just need to, to deal with it in the spirit. Um, I, I recommend people as a pastor frequently Man, here's a Christian counselor. I think this would be a great thing for you to, to do. I, I recommend for people to get on medication. And so I, I want to make sure that that is clear. We are not against that. We are not anti that. Um, I, I believe that for most of us, uh, we're, we're in a position where we can learn to deal with this stuff on our own. But, but there are definitely some of us who, who have some stuff going on that we need help for. And if that's you, man, we, we don't want you to feel condemned. We don't want you to feel judged or looked down upon. So as your pastor, I, I want to say I'm sorry. To those of you who are going through that, because I did not mean to overlook that, and I did not mean to make anybody feel put down or judged um, at all. So, so please forgive me on that. I missed it, um, and I will do better. Uh, I will try to do better uh, as we move forward in, in, in making sure to hit that. So uh, not exactly how I wanted to open my message this week or how I was planning on it, but uh, you, you plan a series on bravery asked after Easter, and then you ask people for $20,000 one Sunday, and then you open your message with an apology the next week. So uh, be careful, little preacher, what you preach. I think that's in the Bible somewhere, uh, but God is, is teaching me to be brave. Uh, just as he is his leading all of us into it. Um, we're studying mostly from the book of Philippians chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible, you can open there. Uh, what we did last week and, and what we're going to do primarily through this series, we're going to take a couple verses from Philippians chapter 4 and, and unpack those. And then we're going to find a, a story in Scripture that illustrates what Paul is talking about as he writes in Philippians chapter 4. So in Philippians chapter 4, I want to start out today actually with verse 1, just to set the tone. He says this, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. And then he says this to, to all of us. If you're a Christian, you're the brothers and sisters that he's writing to. He says this, he says, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Everybody say, stand firm. He tells us to stand firm. I don't know about you, but sometimes standing firm doesn't come natural to me. 
I, I can be a highly inconsistent person. Um, I, I have really good weeks and some not so good weeks. I have seasons where I'm moving forward in my faith and my walk with God and other seasons where it seems like I haven't moved forward for a while. Um, and, and so Paul says to, to me and maybe to you, if, if you can identify with that, he says it's possible for you to stand firm. It's possible for you to not be on that roller coaster, to not be in that, that cycle. It's possible to stand firm, to have a, a solidness about your faith, a solidity to your faith. And he says, I want you to do it in this way. In other words, I'm going to tell you how you can stand firm. And then he goes on and he writes the rest of Philippians chapter 4. So if you read Philippians 4, read it in this context that he's saying, here's how you stand firm. So we're going to skip down to verse 8 and 9. Last week we looked at verses 6 and 7. Today we're going to move forward to 8 and 9. In verse 8 he says, finally, brothers and sisters. How many of you know when a preacher says finally, it means nothing? Uh, so, so Paul says finally. We're almost there. Not really. Uh, and he's not saying finally this is the end of my letter. He's saying this is the end of this specific thought. And we got some more thoughts coming. So he's wrapping up the thought he started in verse 1 on how to stand firm. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Think about such things. And he goes on in verse 9. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. He said, the God of peace will be with you as you begin to think on the right things. You begin to think on things that are true, that are pure, that are noble, that are lovely, that are admirable, that are excellent, that are praiseworthy. He says the God of peace will be with you. What I love about this is is you can contrast it to verse 7. If you were here last week, you saw verse 7 with us. Verse 7 starts and it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in verse 7, Paul tells us that God's peace will actually guard our heart and guard our mind in Christ Jesus. That'll transcend, it'll surpass our understanding. But then in verse 9, he goes one better. He says, not only will the peace of God be with you, now he says the God of peace will be with you. You know, sometimes as Christians, I think we miss out. Because sometimes I think we get focused on, on all the stuff that God can give us and all the stuff that God can do from us and all the blessings that he has for us. And those things are important and they're good and they're awesome. But I think we miss the greatest blessing. You know what the greatest blessing is? It's God wants to be with you. It's God's presence himself. There's no better blessing than simply having him. And so Paul in verse 7 says, the peace of God will guard you. But in verse 9 he says, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that awesome that the God of peace wants to be with you and wants to be with me? And we're going to see if we can make it through this without a power outage today. In Jesus' name, it might go black, but we're going we're to make it through. So watch this. I, I don't just have the peace that God gives. I actually have the God that gives peace. It's an awesome, awesome thing. For the second installment of this series, I want to call it Hold That Thought. Everybody say, Hold That Thought. Hold That Thought. You're going to say that again later on, I believe. We're going to spend some time connecting what we just read with, with another passage that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In fact, if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and put a marker there. Uh, but we're going to stay here in Philippians 4 for, for a couple of moments. Philippians 4.8, he, he says, finally, and then he starts to list some things. He says, whatever's true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy. He says, think on such things. The, the, the phrase that he uses that says think about actually literally means make it your habit 
So he's saying, make it your habit of thought to think about things that are true, to think about things that are lovely, to think about things that are pure, to think about things that are noble, to think about things that are admirable, to think about things that are excellent, to think about things that are praiseworthy. He, he says, make it your habit of thought. Th- this reads like a catalog of all the greatest things that God has for his people. Now, some of you, you don't know what a catalog is. Let me explain it to you so you don't have to Google it. A catalog was something they would send you in the mail back when I was a kid that would show you things you could order. You would send in an order form or you would call a phone number and they would send it to you. It's before we had the internet, before we had Amazon, so you don't need catalogs now, but we used to look in catalogs, and they were a big deal at one point in my life to have a catalog. I, East Bay was my number one catalog, um, but, but it reads like a catalog, right, like a list. Here's all the stuff that you can choose from that God has for you. So, so last week, we saw how we can be anxious for no things, that, that the, those things that cause us anxiety, those things that come at us, that we don't have to be anxious for them. But now Paul says, I don't just want you to get rid of anxiety. I want you to replace it with something. You know, you can't just get rid of the bad stuff in your life and think you're going to be okay. We've got to get rid of the bad stuff and replace it with something good. The the Bible says that that if you have a demon and you run that demon off, but you don't do anything else in its place, he's going to come back with seven of his boys. It's going to be that much worse for your life in in the first place. And, And so many times I think Christians, we have earned many times this reputation in society that we're just against a whole bunch of stuff we got a whole a whole big list of things that we don't do whole big list of things that we don't believe in and that we don't practice and there's a reason why there's things we don't practice and there's a reason there's the things that we don't believe in but it's not just simply the nots it's the do's see we got, i believe that we should be known for what we're for not for what we're against we got to replace those it's not just a matter of, of not living a sinful life it's it's living a holy life it's living a life that honors God. It's living a life on purpose and on mission for what he has for us. And so Paul says, don't just get rid of the anxiety like we talked about last week. Now we're going to replace it with the right things, things that are holy, things that are true, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are noble, things that are praiseworthy and excellent. See, fear and faith have a, a lot in common. Uh, the, we, we think that they're opposites, and, and in many ways they are, but they have this in common. The thing that you fear is the thing that you focus on. Right, the, the thing that the fear that, that creeps into our life, fear that affects me, fear that bothers me, it's because that's where I'm placing my focus on that thing that I'm afraid of. And faith is the same way that, that I'm, I build my faith when I place my focus on the right thing, when I place my focus on what God has for me, that will build that faith in my life. Many times we get in trouble as Christians in our walk with God because we focus on what we can't do and on what we can't have. Well, God just won't let me do this. Well, God doesn't want to let me do that. I just can't do this and I can't do that. And we focus on what we can't. And not on what we can. And and I think that we miss so much when we do that. It's like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in a garden full of amazing trees and amazing fruit. And you can have anything you want except this one thing. And so what do they do? They eat the one thing. Right? Uh, We focus on what we can't have instead of focusing on what God has said you can have. When I was a kid in middle school, um, my my youth group in Seattle, Washington, we would go to Red Robin after youth on Wednesday nights during the summer. Like when school was out, we'd we'd go to youth group, and then we'd go to Red Robin. And I loved going to Red Robin. I was like 13 years old, didn't have a lot of money, and my parents sure weren't going to give me money to go out. So so me and my boy James, we we developed a system. We'd go to Red Robin, and we would order two things. We would order a drink. And we would order fries because at Red Robin, they're both unlimited, right? So we spend $3. And now you probably can't do this now. This was like 1993. But in 1993, you could, for 3 bucks, you could get an order of fries and a drink at, at Red Robin. And you could get as much as you wanted. So I would have like seven Dr. Peppers and four bucket baskets of fries. 
excuse me, as much as I can get, right? If you've ever gone on a diet, man, dieting's rough, but, but, but sometimes you're on a diet. Man, you remember the Atkins diet? Atkins was like a whole craze. Well, you know why Atkins was so successful? Because it said you couldn't have carbs, which is like satanic and ungodly, but they said you can have as much meat as you want, so I had friends who went on Atkins, and they're just, like, eating bacon all day long. And they're clogging their arteries, and their cholesterol's up here, but they're losing weight because they're not eating any carbs. Why did it succeed? Because you can have as much as you want. There's joy and there's pleasure in just having unlimited access to something, isn't there? may not be healthy in some cases, but there's pleasure in it. We enjoy it. And so Paul says in, in Philippians 4, 8, he's not so much giving us a checklist that you need to think on things that are true and things that are pure and things that are lovely and things. He's saying these are the things that are permissible. These are the things you're allowed to think on. These are the things that aren't going to hurt you. These are the things that are going to bless you, and you can think on them as much as you want. In fact, I want you to... Hold that thought. When, when you get one of those thoughts that, that lines up with the word of God, when you get one of those thoughts that, that matches up with this list, man, meditate on it. Sink your teeth into it. It's going to bless you. It's going to propel you forward into your walk with God. Whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's noble, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's excellent, whatever's praiseworthy, think on such things. Because faith is the byproduct of correct focus. If we can get our focus right, we will get our faith right. Some of us need to quit asking God for more faith. I, I believe that God will answer the prayer for more faith, but I think there's a limit to how far God will just deposit faith in you because I also believe that God's given us his word, and the word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, so that if I need more faith, it's time for me to start focusing on the word. It's time for me to start putting the word in me, and the more that I put it in me, the more that my faith is going to increase. Uh, my son He's two and a half years old, and I know you're probably tired of hearing about him because I talk about him every week. But if you're tired of hearing about him, you might want to find another church because we're probably going to talk about him. Man, there's just so many illustrations that come from my kid's life. I can't help it. So, so Judah's two and a half years old, and, and he is all boy. His favorite things in life are trucks and dogs and balls. And, and, I, and I love that he loves balls. I, I love that he loves things that, that are related to sports, and, and he loves throwing balls. And he's pretty good. Man, he can throw accurately, and, and he can throw hard. And it's great up until the point where he starts throwing blocks at your face. Uh, so we're working on discernment. Um, these things are okay to throw, and this is okay the place to throw them, and this is not okay. Uh, because I, I know at some point in time he's going to clock his little sister, and it's going to be bad. So we're believing that, that he'll learn that lesson hopefully quickly. But, but he loves to throw, and he's really good at it. But here's what he's not good at, catching. Uh, man, man, this poor kid. And when I say he's not good at catching, I don't mean like he just doesn't have the eye-hand coordination that, that it hits him in the hands and it falls out of his hands. I mean, it doesn't even hit him in the hands. Because you throw it, you're like, okay, you're to catch, and you throw it to him, and he does this. Like, he just throws his head back, and then it's like he's so excited, and, so, and it's like he doesn't even see it, and it hits him in the butt or it hits him in the shoulder. It's like not even close to his hands every time you try to get him to catch something. So we got a lot of work to do uh, to, to, to help him learn how to catch. But, it, but eventually, once his vocabulary gets to that point and he can really understand, Daddy and Judah are going to have this talk and say, Judah, keep your eye on the ball, Right? Like every, every baseball player, every football player at some point early on, man, as, as they're throwing the ball around, they, some coach, some parent had that conversation with them. Keep your eye on the ball. And it applies to, in, in so many situations. And it may sound really elementary and it may seem really basic and it may seem like I'm talking to you like a five-year-old. But can I just tell you, keep your eyes on Jesus. Man, that, that when, you're, when your eyes get off of him, that's when that stuff smacks you upside the head. That, that, that's when you, you get stuff coming at you from all kinds of directions. When your eyes get turned away from him, that's when things don't go the way you want them to. Keep 
your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep them where they need to be, and your faith is going to be built in the process. Now, now hold that thought. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is talking uh, about the battle in the mind. He, he's talking on kind of the opposite perspective of it, and he's talking about how, how we have weapons, and the weapons we fight with are not the weapons with the world, that the world uses, that, that our weapons are different. And he gets to, to verse 5, and he says that we demolish strongholds, we demolish arguments, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So, so what is an argument when he says we demolish arguments? An argument is anything that doesn't line up with the word of God. An argument is anything that, that the world says, anything that your mind says, anything that your feelings say, that, that is contrary to what the Word of God has to say. And what does Paul say we do with those things? He says we demolish them. Man, that's, a, that's a strong word, isn't it? This is not a passive word. This is not a, man, just try to think about something else. Just think a happy thought. This is a go to war. This is a pick up your sword and go to battle verse. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to him. It's not a passive verse. It's an active verse. It's a verse that says, you and I have a responsibility in this. God is giving us the authority. He's giving us the ability, but he's asking us and expecting us to do it. To go, to go back to Philippians, you don't even have to flip there. You just keep your Bible in 2 Corinthians 10. Dave will do the work for you on the computer. He, he's like the guy. He's breaking open the crawfish for you and dipping it in the sauce. All you got to do is eat. Right? That's the most Mississippi illustration I ever used in my life. I've been in Mississippi 12 years. Apparently, it's starting to take. Look at Philippians 4.8 with me. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, everybody say true. Whatever is noble, say noble. Whatever is right, say right. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Think about such things. These are the things that God is calling us to think on. If I were to ask you a question today, what is holding you back from fulfilling the call that God has on your life? What is holding you back from walking in the very best that God has for you. Most of us in this room, probably myself included, as we answer that question, we would come up with a list of things. Here's the things that are between me and where I want to be. That, that thing might be a person. Well, it's, it's my spouse. It's my kid. It's, it's my boss that's keeping me from this. That, that thing might be an event, something that happened to you. You were abused. You were hurt. You, you were damaged in some way. That, that, that thing might be a financial situation. Well, I just can't afford this, and, and I can't do that. It might be an education status. Well, I just haven't gotten this degree, or I haven't finished up this program yet. It, it might be a responsibility that you have. It might be a medical condition. But it would be a thing that you say, man, this thing is keeping me from where I want to be. Here's what I've learned, and here's what I believe. What keeps us from where God wants us to be, what keeps us from fulfilling his best, isn't that list of things. It's the way we think about those things. Because I can just about guarantee you, whatever that thing is that you think is keeping you from, from what God has for you, there's probably somebody else in this room who's had gone through or, or experienced that same thing. But the difference is they're thinking about it differently. And if we can begin to control the way we think, 
we can begin to think the right way about the things that we wrestle with, I believe we will walk in faith and we'll walk in victory and we'll walk in overcoming spirit that God has for us. So often it's the way that we think about those things that holds us back. Because Paul says if you think about the right things, you can go through some hard stuff and still be standing. Remember the context of Philippians. Where was Paul as he's writing this? He's in prison. His life's on the line. As he writes this and says, think about things that are true. Think about things that are pure. Think about things that are lovely. Think about things that are admirable or praiseworthy. Why? Because Paul was in a daily battle for his mind because he was thinking about the temptation was there for him to think about, I, I might have my head cut off. Man, they might come in and whip me tomorrow. Man, I might get sent to another prison and maybe it's going to be a whole lot worse there. There were all kind of things that Paul could think legitimately that he had legitimate reasons to think this stuff could come against me. And so he's battling. He says, no, the peace of God is going to guard my heart and my mind. And I'm going to think about what is true. I'm going to think about what is pure. I'm going to think about what is lovely. I'm going to think about what is praiseworthy. I'm not going to think about those things. Now, here's the truth. Most of us never stop to think about what we think about, right? No, we we don't. We don't think about what we think about. We just think about things. And and, and so Paul comes and he says, here's the things for you to think about. Think about thinking about these things. Might be a mouthful, but but he's opening our minds to the fact that we actually have some control over the things that we think on. He says, think on things that are true. Think on things that are noble. Think on things that are lovely. Think on things that are admirable. Think on things that are are praiseworthy, that are excellent. Think on these things. Touch somebody say, hold that thought. Hold that thought. In other words, when you get one of those thoughts that's pushing you forward towards God's best for your life, when you get one of those thoughts that's freeing you up from from anxiety and stress and pressure and fear, that's the thought that you hold on to. We need to hold that thought. we got to hold it. So if you look around, there are all kinds of things in your life for you to thank God about. Have you you ever thought about this? Maybe in a Sunday school or, or, or a city group or some point in your life, has somebody ever had you actually write out, like, things that you're thankful for? Like, count your blessings. Like, it might sound cliche, but when you actually start that list, you're probably like, oh, and it might start kind of slow. Well, I'm grateful for mom. All uh, right? Like, it, but, man, you get into it, and you're like, oh, man, and this, and this, and this, and this, and, and I love dogs, and thank God for mountains and water. And, like, and you're just, man, you get into it, and you're like, oh, yeah, thank God, thank God, thank God. Why? Because there's so much stuff for us to be thankful for. There's so much stuff for us to be grateful about. And Paul says, man, grab a hold of one of those thoughts because that's true. It's lovely. It's pure. It's noble. It's praiseworthy. Hold that thought. He says at the beginning of the list, he says, whatever is true. I love that he starts the list there because he didn't start with whatever is factual. Right? He starts with whatever is true because, you see, if you look at the life of Jesus, I hate to talk about Jesus in church, but we're going to do that. That was a joke. We're going to talk about Jesus a lot. He says, whatever is true, well, look at Jesus on the cross. What was true at that moment is a lot different than what was factual because what is factual is he had nails in his wrists and in his feet. What is factual is he'd just been beaten within an inch of his life. What is factual is he was about to breathe his final breath. In a few moments, what is factual is all his boys who he spent the last three and a half years with training to pass the baton to them to take on his ministry. They had all scattered and left and betrayed him. All those things were fact, but none of them were true. Because the truth was he was the resurrection and the life. The truth was resurrection power was in him. The truth was God had a plan and God already knew this was going to happen. And God was raising him back to life on Sunday. You see, the truth was completely different than the facts. So Paul doesn't say meditate on the facts. Because the facts may be ugly. 
The facts may be painful. The facts may look bad. He says, focus and meditate and, fo- and, and give your mind to what is true. In other words, what lines up with the truth we talked about a few weeks ago. If you, you want to go in a little more in depth than that, we talked about Jesus is, is the way, the truth, and the life the week before Easter, the first week of April. Get that podcast and check it out because we talk about the difference between tr- truth and facts. But, but Paul says, think on whatever is true. Now, if, if I know I'm probably not the only one in this boat. In fact, I know I'm not the only one. But, but I'd just be honest with you for a minute. Sometimes I think some really crazy thoughts. And when I say I think some crazy thoughts, I don't mean like I think about dunking a basketball, which that is a crazy thought for a guy like me. That'll never happen, at least not on a 10-foot goal. Lower it down to seven and a half feet, maybe I got a shot. Uh, but, but, but that's a crazy thought, right? So sometimes I think some crazy thoughts that are like so crazy, if we put them on the screen, you'd be like, where are we going to church next week, right? Like I'm just being real. And, and, and as your pastor, I've sat down with enough of you to know that I'm not the only one. That there's other people in here who think some crazy thoughts. In fact, I, I hate to break it to you. This might scare you, but you're surrounded by crazy people right now. Uh, we, we just, we're crazy, okay? We think some crazy stuff sometimes. There's things, and, and, and so what I'm not telling you is that you're responsible for every thought that comes into your mind. What I'm not saying is you're going to get to a place where every thought that comes into your mind is good and pleasing and true and noble and lovely and admirable. That's, that's not the truth. I'd be lying to you if I said, man, I'm going to teach you to where every thought you have is a good thought. You're going to have some bad thoughts. You're going to have some thoughts that are negative. You're going to have some thoughts that, that are discouraging. You're going to have some thoughts that are depressing. And if you're like me, you're going to have some thoughts that are crazy. Okay? That, that's just the truth of the matter. So, so Paul doesn't say never have a bad thought. He just says when you do, here's what you do with it. Second Corinthians 10, 5, look there again with me. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought. Everybody say take captive. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It, it, it's one thing to hold a thought. It's another thing to have a thought that holds you. You see, I think there's a lot of us that, that are held by, by fear. See, I think the fear of failure is one of the, the greatest things that holds Christians back from what God has for us. And, and I think the fear of failure holds us back because we think that failure is the opposite of success. I don't believe that failure is the opposite of success anymore. I used to think that. But, but when you study scripture, I it's not the way that God explains. It's not the way he lays it out. Look at the parable of the talents. He, he gives one guy five talents, and he gives one guy two talents, and he gives somebody else one talent. And he says, go out and, and do something with this, and I'm going to come back and give an account. And so the guy that had five doubled it, and he got ten. And what did he say? When, when the master came back, he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. The guy that had two doubled it. What did the master say? He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. The guy who had one didn't do anything with it. He went and buried it. And we came back to give an account. He said, here's my one talent. I wanted to make sure nothing happened to it. He says, you un." faithful servant he says you wicked but unfaithful servant you see I think the opposite of success as a Christian is not failure I think it's unfaithfulness and so that's why with my staff with my team different people who lead different ministries here at City Church anytime I I bring on a new staff member or somebody's coming into a new position I I have this conversation with them and I tell them the same thing because it's the thing that Pastor Jason told me when he hired me here as a youth pastor I said I want you to know you have the freedom to fail and why do I say that Because I want our people stepping out in faith. I want our people to take chances. I want our people developing new ideas and trying new things and and advancing the kingdom. I don't want my staff leading ministries afraid, man, what happens if I try this and it doesn't work? It's like, you know what? You step out and you take that step of faith. And if it doesn't work, 
we'll come back and we'll clean it up and we'll fix it and we'll learn from it and we'll go forward next time. Because I don't think that failure is the opposite of success because as long as we're faithful in the midst of the failure, God's going to use it for our good anyway. And so we got to be freed up from the fear of failure. we got to be freed up from, from letting that keep us from moving forward. And that's a habit of thought, that, that, ha- that fear of failure. Fear of commitment, same way, right? Well, well, I made a commitment to somebody, and then I found out they weren't as committed to me as I was to them. So now I'm afraid to commit. Now I'm afraid to open my heart again. Now I'm afraid to take that chance again. And what does that fear do? It keeps you from enjoying what God has for you. It keeps you from being blessed. It keeps you from being able to experience the the, the the amazing relationship that God has for you because now you're afraid of failure. So fear keeps us from what God has for us. We've got to push through it. Philippians 4.8 describes what, what is good, the things that we're supposed to, to meditate on on the positive. 2 Corinthians 10.5 gives us the flip side. Here's, the things, here's what you do with the things that aren't positive. Here's what you do with the thoughts that come to you that aren't so great. These are thoughts that, that don't come from God. Here's what Paul says to do with them. He says, demolish them and take them captive. Man, it's physical, it's violent, it's intense. you got to do something with it. It's not just going to happen. See, see, a lot of times we have this idea that, man, well, if you got a bad thought, you just, just let it go. Man, just, just let it go. Maybe you've, you've got that thing that's stressing you out. Oh, well, just let that thing go. Well, a lot of times if you let it go, what happens? It comes back, right? So Paul says, man, forget letting it go. Letting it go doesn't really work. He says, I'm, I'm going I'm to put you to work. Let's be active instead of passive. Let's go to war with those thoughts, and we're going to take captive those thoughts. We're going to demolish those arguments. We're going to make it work. He's, he's using imagery here from warfare. He's using the imagery of, of a prisoner of war, that, that there's somebody who's, who's on one side, and they're taken captive by the other army, that they're thrown in, the, thrown in j- jail, and they're locked up. You've got to take them captive. So there's a war going on over your mind. And, and what you got to do is you got to learn to interrogate your imagination. So I've never done an interrogation. I've never been in the Army. I know some of you have. Thank you for serving our country and protecting our nation. You guys are awesome. Speaking of, and this is totally unrelated to my message, but I meant to do this earlier. Major props to the First Impressions team running umbrellas out in the rain today. Can we just give it up for First Impressions? Man, we, we had so many people out there running umbrellas. I was so proud of our church this morning. You guys rock. I even said, Kayla McLaughlin was running umbrellas first service. He's not even on the First Impressions team. I don't know what was going on there, but Kayla's just out there just, just making it happen. So thank you guys for, for, for doing that today. And, and again, thank you to, to those who have served. I haven't. So, so I don't have this experience. I've never interrogated a terrorist. I've never been a police officer. But I have watched a lot of Lost and a lot of Designated Survivor. So I, have, I think I know how an interrogation goes. So at least in the TV and on the movies, here's how it goes. You got a terrorist and, and you find him. You, you're going to ask maybe a whole list of questions, but there's always two questions that come up. Where'd you come from? And what's your mission? What are you up to? Where did you come from? What, what are you trying to accomplish? Where are you headed? So I believe you got to do the same thing with your thoughts, with those negative thoughts. Man, you need to take them captive, and you need to start asking them some questions. In other words, where did you come from? Start looking, man. Does it line up with Philippians 4.8? Is this thing true? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it noble? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? No? Well, then it didn't come from God. So you identify, okay, this is not where you came from. This is not something that was sent to me to be a blessing. Man, man some of us, you, you need to start treating those, flight, uh, the, those thoughts like a passenger on an overbooked United flight. 
Too soon? Too soon? Okay, maybe too soon. But you're going to remember the mental image, right? I'm sorry for the man who got beat. Uh, he, he did out pretty well in his settlement he's taken care of. Not trying to make fun of him. But you know the mental picture. You've seen it, right? Some of you need to start taking some, some thoughts like, okay, you're in this seat and somebody else needs to be in this seat. I need something true in this seat. I need something lovely in this seat. I need something pure in this seat. So I'm going to drag you out of here kicking and screaming if I have to. And that may be a really ugly picture, but you're going to remember it. Man, it's, it's got to be physical. It's got to be intent. Man, I'm going to get rid of this no matter what. Tell somebody, hold that thought. See, it's not just the good thoughts that we hold on to. It's the bad thoughts, the wrong thoughts, the thoughts that we shouldn't have. We, we got to hold them too, but we hold them in a different way. We lock them up. We take, you see, what you need to do is you need to take a hold of the thing that's been holding on to you. You need to take authority over that thing. Some, some of us, it's like, um, maybe I can illustrate it this way. It's like if you were to take your kids, maybe, maybe your young kids, maybe your older kids wouldn't be so bad. Maybe they would. But, but if you were to take your kids grocery shopping and you let your kid lead you around the, the grocery store, man, we're just going to get whatever you want. What would you come home with? Every sugar cereal, a bunch of ice cream, uh, and, and absolutely nothing you could cook, right? Like you're going to come home with a whole bunch of junk if you let your kid lead you around the grocery store. Some of us, we're, we're letting our thoughts treat us like the kid at the grocery store. They're taking us down every aisle, and we're grabbing all kinds of stuff that we don't need to grab a hold of. When we've got the authority to say, you know what? I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to sit you right here in the cart, and I'm going to take control of this relationship, and we're going to go where Daddy wants to go, and we're going to get the stuff that we need to get. You need to hold that thought. You need to take that thought and take authority over that thought. You see, you have the authority over the thought. You have authority over all the thoughts that you think because it's your mind, but also because the Holy Spirit lives in you. He's the greatest authority, and so you've got authority over the things that you think so instead of letting it lead you you need to begin to lead it i told you last week that that we'd want uh, we'd find a scripture a story from scripture that lines up with what paul wrote about well today we don't have a lot of time so our story is going to be really really brief but we're going to go back to joshua and i want to set up what's going on in joshua again joshua has risen to leadership over over israel They've been wandering through the promised land for 40 years, and they've come to the edge of the promised land, and they're about to go forward. They're about to take hold of everything that God's given them, and they, they had to wander for 40 years because what? Because they held on to the wrong thoughts, because they had thoughts of doubt, thoughts of fear, and they held on to those thoughts instead of the faith thoughts that they could have. So they wandered for 40 years, but now they're there, and they're about to go in, and Joshua is responsible to lead them in, and he's just lost his mentor. He's just lost his friend, this man that he looked up to, this man who taught him everything he knows named Moses. And so Joshua's in this place, this rough place, and God speaks to him. And God says, have I not commanded you? Because I already said it in verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. What an awesome promise. What a great guarantee. But what does the guarantee stem from? Verse 9 stems from verse 8. Look with me very quickly. We're almost done, guys. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. When I... And then he says, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So the courage that God had for Joshua, the success that God had for Joshua, what did it come from? It came from Joshua meditating on the book of the law. What is he doing? Holding that thought. Holding that thought. Holding that thought. He's finding the right things to think on. And as he finds the right things to think on, God says it's going to bring you success. Turn it back to Philippians 4 very quickly. Last verse I'm going to give you today. He says this, he says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So just as, as God tells Joshua to go out and be strong and courageous, Paul says to the Philippians, put these things into practice. And then he says, and the God of peace will 
be with you. Joshua 1.9, he says, be strong and courageous and God will be with you. Philippians 4.9, he says, and God will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. But here's what I want you to see. Because we could look at Joshua and you could say, okay, well, that was God speaking to Joshua. That wasn't God speaking to me. That's not a promise for me. That was just for Joshua. That was a historical. And there's people who read the Bible that way, and, and, and that's fine. I'll even grant you that for today. We, we won't argue about that. We'll, we'll take Joshua 1 off the table. Here's what you need to know. You have it better than Joshua. Because Joshua had God with him, but God's promised to be in you. You got it better than Joshua. If Joshua could be strong and courageous because God was with him, alongside him, how much more can you be strong and courageous because God is in you, Christian? Come on. Come on, give me some feedback. You guys hearing me? You can be strong and courageous because God is in you. Where does it come from? It comes from holding that thought. God was with Joshua, but God is in you. You need peace, you can have it if you hold it. You need restoration, you can have it if you hold it. You need courage, you need bravery, you can have it if you can hold it. You need a new clear conscience, you can have it if you can hold it. You got to hold that thought. You got to hold it. You got to hold it. If you're getting baptized today, you can go ahead and slip up and, and go out to the back very quietly uh, and, and get dressed. We are almost done, guys. Um, but I need some help. Tell you what, uh, Lucas and Jeffy, will you guys come up here? Put y'all on the spot for a minute. See how this goes. Jimmy's giving it up for him. You guys can give it up for Lucas and Jeffy. You don't know why yet. They don't know why yet. Awesome. Awesome. Here's what I want you to do. And I don't, I don't know you guys well enough to know if you'll be up for this or not, but we're going to step out in faith. I didn't warn them about this before service. I need, I need you to hold your wife. They've been married for a long time. They've got two kids. We know that they've held each other before. Uh, so very long time. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold her with both arms. Like, man, like, like, like yeah, like you're holding on to her. There you go. There you go. Perfect. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, now, Grant, come up here. You, you just hang out right here for just a second. So I'm, I'm going to give you guys, you're going to be characters in this story. So Jeff, uh, Luke, you, you are Luke's mind, okay? And, and Jeffy, you're Philippians 4.8. You're whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is holy, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is admirable. That's you, right? So, so you're holding on to those things. Now let me ask you this. Well, let me, let me say this first. We've got to give Grant a, a role in the story. Grant's 2 Corinthians 10.5. He's the arguments and the pretensions that set himself up against the knowledge of Christ, okay? So, so let me ask you this, Luke. What would it take for you to let go of whatever's true, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's noble, to grab hold of, of the argument that sets it up against the knowledge of God? Pretty, <laughs> Pretty happy with it. For, for illustration purposes, why don't you, because we do this, right? We all do this. We all let go of it. So go ahead and let go of your wife and go ahead and hold, grab a hold of Grant. <laughs> See how this goes. <laughs> Hopefully you'll remember this. Why would you let go of the thing that God has blessed you with, the thing that God has given you, to grab hold of that, right? Unless you're Marie, in which case that's the thing God's blessed you with, and you need to hold on to that. I love you. Can you give it up for these guys? Being good sports, you guys can go have a seat. Hold that thought. Grab hold of the thing that God has for you. Grab hold of the thing that he's given you. Whatever's true, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's noble, whatever's excellent, whatever's admirable, whatever's praiseworthy, hold that. And don't you dare let go of it and grab hold of what the enemy wants to send towards you. Would you pray with me? Father God.